Hey everybody, have you ever wondered like, what can I do with all my old footage? It's just sitting on my hard drive, it's collecting space, I, I keep it because I have to, but I'm not really doing anything with it. I think about that, but I also think, how can I make money with the stuff that I've shot that I've sunk thousands of dollars into? Well, Timothy's found something that I think is going to be interesting to all of us. Uh, Timothy, will you, t- will you tell us about this thing? Yeah, so the company is called Dissolve, and they sell stock footage. But the interesting thing about them is that they get their footage from filmmakers like you. So if you have footage lying around, uh, you can give it to them, and they'll sell it for you, and make you can make some money off of it. I, I have so much footage from all the corporate video that I've shot, like stuff that I just never, ever got used because... You know, you're, you're cutting together a 30 second or one minute video and you have like, you know, three hours of B-roll that you shot, you know, or whatever. So there's so much footage that I have. So all you have to do is apply at dissolve.com slash apply to get started. Um, but yeah, everyone should go try it. Like I, I went through the application process. It's really easy. Uh, I, I filled out all the form and then they contacted me via email and said, hey, we want to see some more clips. Can you upload like eight to 10 clips that we can evaluate from there. But if like, let's say my movie's already on YouTube or on Vimeo or whatever, can Doesn't they, matter. they can still take those clips They can from still it? take it. Wow. Yeah. The best thing about this, after you've uploaded your footage, there's nothing you have to do. If your clip gets licensed, you get money. And so it's a great way to make money off of the shorts that you've already shot. Even if they're still up on YouTube, that's okay. Even if they're out in the world, that's okay. Um, so there's really nothing to lose here. It's pretty awesome. Well, that sounds great. Well, you know, I think everyone who has a bunch of footage that, you know, they're not actually doing anything with should definitely check this out because, yeah, you know, it's hard enough to make money as a filmmaker as it is. Like, this is one more way that we can, you know, maybe, you know, return a profit of some kind. Exactly. Monetize. What do you say that? Monetize your... Yeah. Monetize. Get a ROI, you know, (laughs) return on your investment. Monetize your films and get an ROI with Dissolve. Oh, man, that's pretty good. Yeah. <laughs> you uh, have the footage, and they have a place to sell it. Right. That's my other tagline. Yeah, that's funny. That's a good one. Well, yeah, everyone check it out. And thanks to Zal for, you know, for being a part of the podcast, yeah. man. welcome to the podcast family. Thanks for sponsoring us. And now let's start the show. Welcome to Making Movies is Hard, a podcast about the everyday struggle of being an independent filmmaker. I'm Mark Purcell. And I'm Timothy Plain. Each week we discuss filmmaking topics and give you our point of view on them, not as experts, but just as two filmmakers trying to figure it out for ourselves. This week we've got uh, director Paul Schneider on the show. He's directed commercials for HBO, Toyota, and Hyundai, as well as a short film called 50 Minutes that stars Steven Tobolowski and DJ Qualls, who, if you don't know their names, you absolutely know their faces. Steven Tobolowski is most famously Ned Ryerson. From... No, he, he says Ned? Ned Ryerson? Or Ned Ryerson. What's no, his no, name? No, his name is Ned Ryerson. His name is oh. Ned Ryerson. Come in, on, Timothy. In Groundhog Day. No, yeah. you're right. You're right. Yeah, come on. I take it back. I take it back. It's me, Ned. Ned <laughs> Ryerson. Anyways. And then DJ Qualls, which I mean, I think most people will remember him from Road Trip, right? Right. Yeah. yeah absolutely. So but they're like, I feel like they're two actors that you would see them and you'd say, oh, I know who those guys are. Yeah. And maybe you would like be racking your brain like, where did I see him though? I'm not sure exactly what movies. 
Yeah, I don't know why I'd always know DJ Qualls' name to his face just because, I mean, Road Trip was a movie I saw a lot. But now I'm familiar with Silicon Valley. I think Stephen Tobiaski is sort of, his name is becoming a little bit more familiar. I mean, more because I'm like paying attention to credits. Anyways, this is stupid. We should talk about Paul. Welcome to the show, Paul. <laughs> Thanks. Um, <laughs> How's it going, man? It's going great. That was a really stupid intro, um, but that's okay. We're we're, f- we're full of stupid intros. It's I was okay. very entertained. Yeah, okay. usually Alric is like, we have a very special guest with us today. Yeah, my favorite boring <laughs> intro. And also, I just want to make one correction. It's said Hyundai, like Sunday, not Hyundai or however you said it. Hyundai, Hyundai, like, like Sunday, like Sunday. Yeah, they were a client of ours for a while. Not so. Hyundai, Hyundai. Is how <laughs> oh I yeah, said you it. said Hyundai. Hyundai. Okay, good. Got it. We're good. Let's move on. Let's Perfect. talk to Paul. Have him do his one minute bio. <laughs> yeah. One minute bio. My name is Paul Schneider. I'm a commercial director. Well, I have been a commercial director for the last uh, 10 or 12 years. Um, I come originally from the advertising side and and uh, and then moved into motion graphics and visual effects and uh, kind of action sports stuff before uh, becoming commercial director. And now I'm... Um, in addition to that career, I'm moving into uh, television and film. And that's probably how we met. Where do you live? I live in Los Angeles. There you go. <laughs> yeah, it's the the proof. Everyone says the most successful directors live in Los Angeles, which, you know, I think is somewhat true. But we should talk about that later. Um, your whole thoughts on LA versus not LA. Cause I think I know where you stand on that one. Yeah. We should talk about it because I lived in, uh, I, for the majority of my career, I lived in Chicago. And, oh uh, yeah, that's right. Do you want to talk about this Timothy or should we just get into our main thing? I quick? think we can talk about it now because okay. Chicago has a pretty big ad community, doesn't it? It has a great ad community. It yeah. was actually an amazing, I was in a, I actually moved, I, I lived in LA, um, before Chicago, and I actually moved to Chicago to uh, work for a company and do a lot of um, kind of uh, creative direct at a company and do a lot of uh, that. We did a lot of visual effects and motion graphics and film titles and things like that. And um, through that, that's that's kind of what helped launch my career as an independent, you know, commercial director. And for several years I was living in Chicago. Um, actually I wasn't, I wasn't actually directing in Chicago that much, but I was living in Chicago and I was able to, you know, interact with a lot of the agencies there and I was able to, um, it kind of launched a lot of my commercial work. So a lot of, a lot of the work originated at the ad agencies there and then, you know, we directed it wherever, but, um, or made it wherever, but that's, you know, I was able to kind of have a pretty uh, successful career living there. That's and, cool. And do you feel like your career's gotten better as a result of moving to LA? I think that I certainly have a lot more connections, and and as I'm moving into uh, you know film and television, um, in addition to the commercial thing. Um, I feel like those are avenues that I certainly wouldn't have, at least at the onset, I wouldn't have the opportunity to have the connections that 
I would have needed to have to make that happen. Like, I don't think it's impossible to be to, to, to make a film and be really successful in, in Chicago, but I certainly think that your chances are, uh, you know, greatly reduced. And, you know, if you, you can either be, you know, it could either be a one in a million chance in LA or a one in 10 million chance in Chicago. <laughs> you choose, you choose your right. odds. Right. Well, you could also look at it the other way around that your chances are greatly increased by going to LA rather than reduced by being in Chicago. However you want to, <laughs> however you want to do your odds, man. I'm going with the increased odds cause I'm in San Francisco. So I have to look at LA as the place to go to, not the place to uh, choose another place to make a film, you know? True. True. Yeah. So how, how do you and Ulrich know each other? I think we met, I actually did a short film called 50 minutes in the last year. And it was, um, kind of a passion project, um, you know, as these things are. And I had talked to Ulrich at one point early on, but I think I just passed this over to him to get his opinion on it. Yeah. Yeah. I think he sent it to us. Um, and then I was in Los Angeles for AFM and I just was like, Oh, I'd seen, like, I was really curious about the short film because of the, the stars that you had in it. And then just, you know, uh, sounded like a really interesting person. So I was like, Oh, let's meet while I'm in Los Angeles. And we went out to dinner and that was really awesome. And uh, it was so funny because, like, I was there for the American film market, and you're like, why would you be there as a director, <laughs> basically? Yeah. And I was like, <laughs> well, I guess, I don't know. Well, I'm, I'm, I'll find out, I guess, <laughs> you know? Yeah, I listened uh, to some of your podcasts on that, and it seemed like you had a pretty successful time. Yeah, there. yeah, it's interesting. I mean, I don't know, like what's happened since then like i've had a few phone calls with production companies and a couple people are like keep us posted on how the film is going you know but mm-hmm. yeah no no one's no one's from that um experience no one's like trying to make the movie or anything so i don't know if that ever does happen for anybody you know but it was interesting because for me i had never been before so it just seemed like normal busy whatever but then i was talking to a couple people who have been before or more plugged in into the industry. And they said it was like the slowest year of AFM, like ever. Like usually there's like two to three or maybe even f- like five times as many people there. So I don't know if that is changing because of the way distribution is going and things are just not going to be the same in future years. And that market not going to have as big of a place or I don't know who knows, but uh, it was a, it was a really interesting experience as a director. Like you could never go to AFM and it would not make any difference at all, but for the right, like filmmaker, it might be a good place to go to meet people and, you know, learn a little bit more about the business side, you know? So I feel like there's pluses and minuses to it for sure. And I think for the right person, it's good, but definitely not for everybody, you know? Yeah, I actually think it's probably in some ways a little bit more relevant than it has been for a director and filmmaker just because now nowadays it seems like, and I noticed this on the commercial side, and I definitely, well, at least assume that it would be happening in TV and film, is like things are much more, with all the budget shrinking and things, it, it becomes much, things become much more a who-you-know market, and so the more the more people that you meet and the more that you understand the business aspects of it, that's just going to help you because you're going to, whether you're self-distributing or whether you're, you know, whether you're meeting contacts that'll, that'll pan out a year from now or two years from now, the, like those things, 
those things are maybe more important now than they had been because in the past, I mean, I, I just know in commercials in the past, you can, you could kind of let your reps and your producers and your EPs go out and, you know, put your, put your name out there and find you some work. And now it's, it's a lot more about who, you know, and those individual relationships and, and who, you know, in ad agencies. And I, I gotta believe it's the same all the way all the way around. Right. So I, the market's just so flooded now. Yeah, I mean, I used to in commercials, I used to do these big grandiose pitches and um against, you know, three or four directors all the time and I still do those once in a while, but it's much more focused now. It's the jobs are so tight that no one no one tends to want to, you know, uh, waste anyone's time. They just like they they just want to get the director that they want, so they They're just like, we go have and, no money, so we're just going directly to you. Exactly, you can make it work. Let's just go do it. I would say in the last year, like eighty five percent of my jobs are someone comes to me with exactly that philosophy. You yeah, know, they right. have they have a they have a big job, they have a budget that's probably a little too tight for that job, and they don't want to go out. and I don't know if everyone just got burned. In trying to, you know, doing three pitches and four pitches against, you know, with tight budgets. But yeah, that's exactly it. It's people come to me and they go, can you do this job? And they already know I can do it because they've maybe seen it on my reel or they've seen something similar. And so it's, it's pretty much a, uh, you know, the creative, the creative argument or the creative competition of that is, is kind of gone by the wayside and it's much more of a financial argument now. It seems like it's, it's really refreshing once in a while to get, you know, to get these pitches, but it's, it's, they're much more few and far between than they used to be in that yeah. respect. Well, in talking about shrinking budgets, like, is that affecting your pay as a director at all? Because my big question for you is, like, what are all your sources of income and how do you survive out there? Is it all just based off of what you're making on commercials or do you have other sources of income? No, it's all based on commercials. Yeah, I mean, it, I would be, I would be, uh, it would be silly to say that that's, like, the, what I should rely on the rest of my life because I feel like it's, um, it, things are definitely getting tighter, but for the last um, about twelve years, it's been a hundred percent commercials. Uh, you know, and, and in a, originally I did a few music videos and things like that, and once in a while I'll do some uh, because I have a, a a background in design and visual effects. Um, I'll occasionally be asked to do some creative director jobs and things like that, but uh, but I would say in the high nineties is, is strict is the commercial work. And yeah. I've been able to be fairly successful doing that. Um, I mean, I've always been involved in, uh, or I've always wanted to, to do longer form content, film and, and, uh, television. The, they're kind of two different beasts. So I'm treating them differently. Um, but, uh, you know, those things, uh, I've kind of, in the last year and a half, I've put a lot more attention into those. Um, 
partially because, you know, as, as I've gone along, I'm like, well, this isn't going to happen on its own. I have to, you know, I, if I want to make these more of these passion pieces on these long, in this longer or in these longer forms, then I have to start making them. And so there was like a, you know, that just coming to that conclusion. And then also coming to the conclusion that on a certain level, it, it would be just better to diversify a bit, you know, on a professional level. Um, you know, when you're out there as a commercial director, you have reps and EPs, like I said, out there, you know, putting your name out into different agencies and you have a certain amount of people doing that. And I think that, um, it, it would, you know, it would be really good to have similar teams out there doing the same in, in television at the very least, and hopefully someday in film. Right. Awesome. To diversify the people, the different types of jobs you can take. This feels like a natural transition into one of the topics we wanted to talk to you about, which is, is commercial directing a path to feature directing? But I'm curious, Ulrich. Yeah. One, that, do you have any other questions? Or do you want to talk about the getting name actors no, in your movie first? I think we should do that. I mean, because the other question I had about the commercial directing was, I mean, because a lot of people that we've talked to, like there's, there's not so many directors who have been able to survive solely on directing. Like most people that we talk to have some other kind of job they do or some other kind of, you know, way that they, they make their money on the, mm-hmm. on the side, you know, whether it's like editing or, you know, they work as a, you know, Timothy works full time as a producer, you know, like there's all kinds of different things that people do, but, um, just one, I'm just curious, like, how have you been able to, you know, keep this commercial directing career going for 12 years without having to do anything else? What's your secret? I don't know if I have a secret. I, I worked really hard. I, um, I think when we talked about, when we had dinner that night, one of the things I talked about with you is, um, focusing, and I, I've been just kind of laser focused on being a director. Um, I, I think I'm pretty well rounded in my, in my talent. Uh, I can, I can edit. I can, I've spent my time on the box. I can do the visual effects myself if I need to. And I can, and I have, and, and I can do, you know, edit and I can, you know, do a little bit of everything. But mostly my focus is making sure that I have a, um, you know, I have a, a reel that's current and, and that I'm focusing on getting, you know, passionate, um, engaging work out there as a commercial director. And that's, you know, a, a, any aspect I can follow to focus, you know, on that particular thing. That's what I've been doing. And in, in some ways, I think it's been very successful in, on, on the commercial side because I have been able to, um, maintain a career doing that. And in other ways, I think it's been a little bit, um, lackluster in that I have wanted to, you know, make films and things for a long time, but, you know, I've been so hyper focused on the commercial side that any free time I have has gone into doing director's cuts or, you know, (laughs) that kind of thing. I think from the outside though, we see a lot of commercial directors make the leap into feature films and so there's a perception that commercial directing is a path to feature directing. And I'm, as somebody that's on the inside that's been doing it for 12 years, why do you think commercial directing helps some directors get to feature films? And also, how do you feel like it 
in the in how you've been kind of saying distracts you from getting there or or keeps you away from getting there well i mean some some commercial directors don't want to be featured directors some some people i i know quite a few that just that's all they want to do you know and they they don't really want to make longer forms stuff or if they do they um you know, they don't really pursue it that much. They kind of fall into it. I will say it's, it's probably from my, from my opinion, it's, or from my side, it's, it's the, really the only thing that's helped me move into filmmaking. And, and I'm kind of like with, with regard to filmmaking, I'm kind of like, you know, I'm, I'm just, you know, kind of dipping my feet into this world. Um, it's just the connections I've had um, through commercials. Like I have access to solid crews that I've used many, many, many times as many as, you know, I've had crews, I've worked with the same crew, probably some of the same crew, you know, 40 or 50 times. So these people are people I know and, and will kind of, uh, you know, go to battle for me. And that's really important if you're trying to get something made, you know, on a budget, um, both, both in commercial world, but, but certainly in the film world too. And then, um, you know, that there's that, and then maybe just spending time on set and spending time, you know, thinking about narrative. Although I will say that the, the commercial side is, I mean, that's a different beast, you know, making a commercial, I can think it's been really, um, like I have a lot of ideas from a from a film side, but actually fleshing them out into longer form projects is, you know, that's a new muscle for me because it's right. um, it's you're not, when you're uh, doing commercials, you're thinking in a thirty second. Man, I can think in, I can think in I can make a thirty second commercial or a minute commercial. I can put that I can edit that together in my head, like. Like, like when I walk on set, I know how things are going to go. And I, and I can, as we're shooting, I can make adjustment calls that probably would make people think I'm, you know, it's, it's a psychic thing, but it's really just, um, I've done so (laughs) many commercials that I just know how things are going to cut together. Um, it's scary sometimes doing the film stuff just because you're like, wait, is this, is this going to (laughs) work? Right. Right, because um, if you break down a thirty-second commercial, let's say there's twelve shots in it, it's pretty yeah. easy to hold in your head. Yeah, it's yeah, twelve to twenty shots, and yeah, sure. it just depends on how fast you want to cut it. So you're basically saying that the the plus side for commercial directing to get to the a long form world is that there's experience, and you're you're working muscles of just doing the directing, working with crews, but the disadvantage is you're working on very short form things. So you're the muscle for long form stuff is not getting worked out. It, that, I mean, that's, that's me. That's how I'm. Yeah. No, I feel the I same see. way. Um, and commercials are so, you know, they have to be so selly. I mean, they're always selling something that no one else wants. So it's like, you're always <laughs> concentrating on that. Right. But, um, you know, I, I have seen a lot more people in music video uh, do, who do music videos. Kind of, they seem it seems a more of a natural creative progression to get into film from that world because maybe they're thinking more theoretically. But um, it's a it's a difficult leap going from commercials to to film. I mean, 
I'm, it, there's definitely overlap, but um, yeah, from a and and like I said, from crews and from just flexing your muscles of being on set, that all that helps. But um, I will say that from a from a technical standpoint, or maybe even from a like a connection standpoint, one of the things that I felt when I started moving more into film and and television is um, that I thought it was going to be kind of a little bit easier. Like I thought, okay, well, you know, I'm a safe bet. I've had, you know, a lot of experience. I have a bo- big body of work to, to show people. Um, right. Surely someone will be able to see that and at least go, okay, well, he's not going to mess it up. And, um, and, and really what it is, is what I've realized is that while that some of that may be true, there's the same amount, you know, everyone's out there. There's people out there who have been hyper-focused on just doing TV and hyper-focused on just doing their films. And they have an equal or greater body of work. And they, they've also made the connections and the connections are so dramatically different between the commercial world and the film world and even the television world. They're like, completely different ecosystems and right and it's like like i found myself like what wait i don't know anyone i don't know anyone in the tv world (laughs) you know like try you like you know try like sit down if you're a commercial director i and I, i don't know too many commercial directors that do it's like you spend all your time around ad agencies you spend all your time around eps you spend all your time around your reps and and none of those people know anyone in TV. And right. None of those people, and none of them know anything about film because that's a that's a totally different beast. So, well, well so what did you do? I mean, when when you decided you wanted to make the leap into doing TV and film, did you try to set up meetings and like get in the room of people and show them your commercial directing reel and say, "Hey, I, I want to direct this project or this or that project or and did it not work out or like what was your first steps well i mean i did and um the the few people i was able to contact they they couldn't make the leap in their mind with the commercial stuff it wasn't long enough and so for a while now probably as far back as maybe 2013 or so I just came to realize that the only way, and it and it was the basically the same way I treat my commercial stuff. The only way anyone's going to ever give me a chance to do this is if I actually take the leap and make my own make a piece that someone could look at and start, um, you know, judging me for how I deal with like longer form pieces, and so, um. You know, I started looking for scripts, started writing, doing all that stuff so I could like actually start to create my own pieces. And that's, you know, 15 minutes is one of those. It's just, um, it's, it's kind of a two fold thing. It's something that, you know, I definitely was passionate about and definitely wanted to make happen. And, but I also knew that I had to do something in that world if I was actually going to start 
you know, making leaps forward in the way that I wanted to make. And then was 15, you said, was it your first short or did you make other shorts before this one? I made a few, I made a few little shorts, but they were actually more in the commercial length. You know, they're like one and two minutes long. They're, they're kind of short little thing. It kind of worked out in the way it's a, it's about 20 minutes long. And I always thought that wasn't intent. There, there wasn't anything intentional about it so much that length, but I always felt like as I, maybe I was rationalizing as I went along that, that, that the piece was kind of, it kind of could feel like a nice little wrapped up um, film, but it also, you know, someone could look at it on the TV side and be like, oh yeah, that, that could be an episode of television too i mean i don't want to get all business uh, like overly analytical about it because ultimately i i made it because i wanted to make something fun and make something that i was passionate about um but you know those things uh you know having something of you know that length 15 or 20 minutes could that was you know kind of dialogue based is probably you know what I needed to have to start, um, to start opening some doors. And then, you know, I'm just continuing to work on more of that. So, so how did you go about finding your scripts for these? Did you just start asking people for scripts or did, was there a, a resource that you used to try to find scripts or how did you begin the process of finding this movie? Um, well, I, this, this one came to me, like I had written a few things and I had, um, a writer friend, uh, back in Chicago, um, who I collaborated with and we wrote a couple of features and, and things and that I actually, that I still plan to, to, uh, to make, or at least, you know, to continue developing cause I think they're great. But, um, this piece came, uh, I was talking to a producer friend of mine and we were talking about kind of developing just a short, short, piece that we can both um do for fun and he suggested i look at um these short stories that were coming out um or there's there's like these book these like these um these like best of short story collections that you can that come out every year that where they they kind of scrounge and find through all the magazines and online magazines they collect all the best short stories and this one uh, 50 Minutes was originally a short story um, that was written in 2012 and was published in a online article or online magazine called Slake. And it was a short story by um, Joe Donnelly and Harry Shannon. Um, and they it ended up being like published as a best mystery story in... Um, in these one of these 2000 or I think it was 2012 or 2013 collections and I read the story and I was immediately like hooked on it it was quite a bit different it was actually all in the doctor's head uh, when I read it um, but I kind of just was super hooked on it and I thought it would make a great a great short and so I just reached out to Joe and it kind of took me a while to find that find him but i i reached out to him and just kind of gave him my pitch and um i realized after talking with him that we actually had some connections like um we're both big skateboarders back in the day and and we we got to talking and 
And uh, after a few weeks, he he kind of gave me the nod and let me uh, let me run with it. At least let me you know take a shot at the script and and uh, went from there. Oh, that's did, cool. Did, did you have to pay him for it? A dollar. Nice. <laughs> yeah, you would hope that uh, at uh, for something that you're just doing on the side for fun and at short film, there's not much business side to it. That if you get on with the writer that they would just kind of let you take their story yeah i mean all this was um from the beginning this was i can't emphasize enough like the the passion aspect of it because i really got hooked on this story and i really thought that it had all you know the emotional components that worked for me and then also i felt like it was a really good you know a a really good vehicle you know a really good vessel for a short film because you know we're all trying to make these things and you know when we go back to you know where does um you know what kind of experience does a commercial director give you well the one thing i know is that locations are expensive (laughs) and so (laughs) when i started looking at stuff i was just like well I need to have something that's in locations that I can control. I need something that I can, and and I've always been really fixated on that. Like like um, the one example that I thought of when I originally was reading this is, um, the the beginning of Inglorious Bastards, like the 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 scene in the in the French cabin yeah that opening scene scene. it's a great scene and it's basically a short film in its own right and it's so tense and it's just two people sitting at a table you know um right like i just thought well what if the story was a little bit different when when i originally um where the original telling of the story was a little bit different but i i just imagine these two characters stuck in a room and it's like two two characters go into a room and only one's going to come out, you know, like that kind of thing. So um, I just knew that I could make it great. And I had already thought about how I could make it, you know, make it really strong before I even approached Joe with the um, with the idea of making it into a film. So when I when I did approach him, it was like a pretty tight pitch as to how I can make it happen. And at the time, it was maybe, I don't know, maybe two years after he had written the story. And I think um, someone had actually approached him once to try and make it. And uh, they kind of sat on it for a year and nothing happened. And, you know, there was no communication. So he was kind of, and I think they'd maybe even done a little play version of it. um, Like kind of a live reading kind of play thing. Yeah. And so they knew that like he knew that there was potential to it, but it had just kind of lagged and he had kind of, you know, he's a really Joe's a really prolific writer, so he, you know, to him it was a piece that he cared about a lot, but he also I think, you know, it had he knew that it probably wasn't going to expand into anything more. And I don't think that the story was one that maybe would work as a feature film either. So I think he was just really keen to see something happen with it and let me, let me go with it. Well, before we move on to finding out how you got these actors in your film, I just want to 
go back to what we were talking about with the commercial direct is commercial directing a path to feature directing and just say that I can confirm all the things that you said I feel are are true for me too or the things that I've found out about the commercial world is that it is a very different ecosystem than feature films or television directors may kind of go between those two worlds but the especially the production entities don't really overlap too much and yeah you definitely um if you work in the advertising business you're just going to know advertising people yep. and you have to like kind of create that opportunity to find a, a new network of people that are in those other industries so like good job and like making your your short film and i'm curious to know did this short film in doing it has it opened doors to those other networks uh absolutely yeah and how how did that happen did you just send it out to people did you put it up online and they reached out to you or well the the jury's out on whether it will have totally worked we'll we'll see in the next year or two but it's you know early on through just life i wouldn't even say just through commercials i've and i've met you know different managers and agents and 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 people in those other worlds and like i said they they i realized really early that that um none of the commercial side was really going to be able to help not not that they weren't willing it's just they didn't know anyone or they just did weren't focused on that so mm-hmm. through that time i met different people um, in the industry, in the film industry, I know a couple of agents. A former roommate of mine has kind of became an agent and, and is actually doing quite well. But all these people, even even with some of those connections, they're all like, well, you need to show us something that is not a commercial. <laughs> and, and, you know, and it's like we're, you know, and so there was no, the, everyone was willing to help me, but they weren't, you know, they needed to see something longer. And so that's when I finally was able to um, provide them something that was, you know, phys- you know, technically and physically longer a narrative piece, they were certainly willing to take a look. And then when it was actually like a solid representation of, you know, like a good story and it actually kept them kind of gripped, then they were you know, actually willing to put their, a little weight behind it and start, you know, passing it along to people and, and making connections since I've done it. It's still just starting. I mean, I'm just putting it, starting to put it in festivals now. And, but since I've done that, uh, I've already gotten a few calls. I've had a few meetings in town with some film fun people and, and, you know, We'll see. We'll see what happens. Yeah, I but mean, it's. Yeah, I know you don't know what's going to happen, but I, it's such an important lesson to anyone who wants to head in a different direction is that you can't wait for somebody to come to you and, uh, you and know, open that door. You just got to open it, and then we can we can know? talk. Yeah, we can talk about the commercial thing. Like I, the the rule number one is no one will give you the chance <laughs> ever. <laughs> No one, if you're sitting there going, oh, someone needs to recognize my genius, just go work somewhere else because no one will ever give you the chance. Like throughout my whole commercial career, you know, when I started commercials, I had this kind of body of work that had like some visual effects and it had a lot of motion graphics and it was like, you know, typing graphics over stuff. And so when I first started commercials, everyone was like, oh, he's the graphics guy. 
you know? Right. And so yeah. it was always that. And so then I went, I'm like, well, I don't want to just be the graphics guy. I want to do those kind of spots. So I would look at spots that I would make and I would go and I would go make like a spec commercial or something that was what I wanted, you know, and I would make one or two of those. And then I would slowly work my way into that world. And then I would be, it's, it, you, you know how it is. You're, you're, yeah, I know exactly it's how like, it is. It's like first I was the graphics guy, then I was the transitions guy. Then I could do the tran you know, I could come up with like really crazy cool transitions that would go between different vignettes. And then I went through a period where I was the match cut guy and I did like I probably have more match cut spots than anyone in history. <laughs> I've probably done twenty five yeah. of them. You know, where just things are kind of cut, 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 you know, a hundred cuts in a commercial all um, in different environments. And most of those were pieces that I wanted. They were initiated from pieces that I want, you know, from experiments or things that I wanted to try. And then they just get completely uh, co-opted and like... Were they experiments that you tried and put on your reel and then somebody saw that and said, we want that for our brand? Yeah, Exactly. Exactly. And then the other thing, it's funny, I think I, I don't listen to you, your your th- podcast all the time, I apologize, but I did listen to one where you were um <laughs> you were talking about oh, I know what it was. It was it was um it was about like if someone on the agency side knows it's fake, like knows it's oh, spec, the spec spot, yeah. Then it's not uh valid <laughs> right. well for instance right. i've seen like milk spec spots sent to goodby silverstein and partners they're the the agency that created right. got milk right so as soon as we see a milk spot we know whether or not it's real or not and if it maybe at another agency it might, might fly but at our agency because we know that brand so well there's going to be things in it that either we're going to say is like oh that's so off brand or we know this is not real and we and if it's not real then to us it's like well you didn't have a client or an agency with you so even if it's good you'd be like yeah well it's good because there wasn't a client and an agency around yeah that's something that ark and i talked about um at dinner one night is is the spec work and you know I'm a big proponent of doing that, but I've kind of gotten to a point with my commercial work. I mean, I'm a proponent of doing it because I feel like it actually, if you do it well, it actually will help you and will allow you to kind of move into new directions. Right. But, but I will say that if you're going to do it, I used to do it, uh, I used to do it and my mantra was to make sure, make absolutely sure that no one in the world could tell it was a spec spot unless I told them. And, <laughs> and is that by choosing clients, the right client or it's, the right idea? It's all that. It's like choosing the right client, but it's also like just choosing the right idea and making it happen. There is definitely spec work on my reel that agency people have, when I've been on set, come up to me and go, we really love that spot. I remember the first time I saw it airing. <laughs> no, yeah. that's so funny. And, that's and, great. That's awesome. But, but I will say that the most successful thing and, and the one one bit of advice that maybe I could give to people is that you don't actually need to... Th- it's probably the one thing fr- from a commercial standpoint. You don't need to throw a logo on the end of it. You don't actually Ooh. have to make a spec spot that is an actual commercial because I feel like you get way more traction. Like One of the things I started doing a few years ago is I'm like screw this. I'm not putting anyone else's logo on my little short film. You know, it's like I started making um, what I was, it was like commercial like shorts where you like make a short film, but it has the arc of a commercial because, right. you know, 
you you do this for long enough and you like I was saying you you can start thinking in the way that commercials work and so I've just start making like little like I made a a little crossfit piece a friend of mine had a crossfit gym and and I made a little crossfit piece called breathe and I literally shot the thing in I don't know an afternoon it was like 2 or 3 hours and cut it together pretty quickly and it has the arc of a commercial but it was like you know it was like it was it was like when CrossFit was first coming out and I did it and it was like a really high energy piece and it was kind of cut to some, um, some more, uh, you know, some, some more interesting music, some quieter music instead of like kind of the aggro thing that you would see in like a lot of sports stuff. And, you know, it basically was a tiny little short film that felt like a commercial. Right. It's almost like you put, they had product placement in it. That yeah. was like so well placed that people thought it was a commercial, but there's actually no logo on it. Yeah, and there's I never put a logo on. I like I just stopped putting logos on things because then no one can like no one in any ad agency can look at you and go, <laughs> "Oh, you just ripped us off." It's like, yeah. no, I didn't rip it off. You're gonna rip me off. And so it's like, <laughs> that's great. I love but that. that that like little breathe that breathe piece. I mean, it in like I put it on Vimeo in like three days. It was like four hundred thousand views. You know, and wow. so like Reebok called me from that, and, uh, and you know that thing stayed on my reel for a couple of years now, just as like a little piece that was shot on, you know, shot on a DSLR. So I would say that if you're looking to actually be a commercial director and you don't have the stuff, just just make a bunch of little short things that kind of feel like commercials, but don't try and you know don't think you have to like, you know. Make a commercial. milk logo on your yeah, thing. Yeah, I think that's you know, smart. I actually think that most the the one thing I know about agency folks is that you know there's there's such a there's so much volume of creativity that has to happen that there's they're just constantly scouring the internet for new and interesting <laughs> ideas. They are, and, and they are every script comes with a reference yeah so there's probably so many scripts that had that that little breathe short on it literally the amount of the amount of times i've had the, i've had people send me rip that have my work <laughs> ripped yeah. on it is i mean it's that that breathe piece is like constantly on people's rip because it doesn't have any logos on it and you know it's like so i think I think that actually it certainly wasn't entirely intentional, but you know, that's something that I think people should realize if they're trying to get into the world, just, just do something really cool and have a lot of fun and make it, make it cool, understand your medium. And then people will come if it's good. People, people will find you. Yeah. And I, and I'm hoping that the same applies to the feature film and television world. And, and maybe you are going to need to make a few more shorts, like 50 minutes in order to have the same thing happen in those worlds. But I feel like if you just keep doing stuff, which is kind of our philosophy on this podcast, just keep making stuff, putting it out in the world. And that's naturally just going to open doors and lead to things. It, content always is the most attractive thing. If you're making good, passionate content, it's going to be, it's going to, you know, attract some attention. Although I will say I'm probably not going to make any more shorts unless they're just... <laughs> you say that now. Cut to a year from... Well, you know, I, 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 will say, I will say this. I, I'm, I like the short film form, but this kind of short film, 
it was too much work for, I feel like with a little bit more effort after doing this, um, after a little bit with a little bit more effort, I probably could have made a feature. And if I had a feature, I would have had a lot more, a feature of this quality I would have had. Um, and with these, with these, with this talent, I would have been able to kind of take it more places right like, well it's I, true a feature film is going to open way more doors to directing feature films than a short film does especially yeah. in today's climate because yeah we've we've struggled with this and we've had a lot of guests come on that have struggled with making a short film and not being able to turn it into anything else yeah and i always intended this as a short film i never thought that this was going to be you know feature i didn't think that the the idea would really that you'd want to be stuck in that world for that long. Right. But, um, you know, I, I've kind of made a commitment to myself that if I do any more short films, they're going to be really kind of, um, quick gestural pieces, like practice pieces. Um, you know, something I can shoot in, in a day or two and probably edit in inside of a week, something like that. Something that's more about keeping, keeping me like nimble and in practice. Um, but you know, this was a, this was a bit more of a production. And yeah. They I always it, end up being a bigger production than you think they're going to be. I yeah. Can't tell and, you how many short films I've gone into saying, ah, oh, it's going to be so easy. And then once you get into it, you're like, I should have just made a feature, like it just a little extra work and a few more shoot days. And it could have just made a feature out of this. Well, yeah, and like I, I think that that happens in every, on every level. But this is this one here. Like, I, I kind of knew it was going to be a bit of a bear, and then once I, once we got it in the can, there were so many people that had you know kind of helped out and donated their time, including the actors, that I was just like, well, I have to take this you know, there was a commitment. I have to make this what it was always meant to be. So anytime I got, um, that I started thinking, I, uh, you know, started thinking, is this worth it? I just, you know, would have to kind of double down and, and do it just out of maybe even, maybe even just out of guilt. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Well, let's talk about how you got Steven to, to, how do you say it? Tobolowski? Tobolowski. Steven Tobolowski and DJ Qualls in your film. Like, were those your first choices and how did you approach them? Tell us, like, how that whole thing unfolded. Um, well, I had the script and we had kind of honed the script down. Um, and I felt like the script was really tight, um, and, and compelling. And so I think that, that was the first thing. And so once we got it, we, we kind of took a, like my producer, uh, friend Roberto and I were kind of going back and forth on the script. And, um, but once we got the script to a point where, um, where we really liked it and we had, um, we thought it could, you know, get people interested, we started reaching out to different casting agents and kind of, a, a bit out of serendipity, um, we had, uh, well, r- my friend Roberto had a mutual friend who does um, black, we, who does like 
like small plays in Los Angeles, like these black box plays, these short run plays. And um, it turns out that these, the, he, the, this guy produces these plays, and it turns out that these things are quite popular with, um, with a lot of the actors because they can come in and kind of hone their skills in a very, uh, you know, in, in a way that kind of allows them a lot of freedom and it, it's not a huge commitment on their time and it's kind of different than just being, you know, uh, in TV or in film. It's kind of a much more visceral experience for them. And so we kind of reached out to this producer because he, he wasn't really a casting agent, but he had some connections. And he had certainly dealt with a lot of the agents and a lot of the managers of a lot of different actors and wasn't afraid to um, to call these folks. And he also had a bit of a rapport with some people so that they knew when they called that there was at least something creative there. So it wasn't like no one was just blowing smoke. So I had a few people in mind for the doctor position early on was it also um, a name actor name actors i wanted to have name actors in the in the piece and, well, and yeah I, why why did you decide to make that choice well i mean why not <laughs> i just <laughs> did you think it was going to help i um, felt obviously that doesn't help with distribution because shorts don't really get distributed but did you think it would just give you more clout it wasn't about clout it was about um it was about making the best film mm-hmm. and i and i was i wasn't um, adverse to going with a non-name actor. Um, and I certainly know quite a few actors through the commercial side. Um, but I wanted to, I felt like, you know, like that Tarantino piece I was describing, it, it's like you have two people in a room and really a lot of what makes, the, the script can be top-notch, but a lot of what's going to make this work is the nuance of the characters and the little details and um, the little details of, you know, of, of the performance, the little details of, of their reactions and, you know, and just honing on those things from a directorial, you know, perspective, you know, just making sure that you're as a director, you're able to be in the right place to capture those things. Um, and so I felt like I felt like I wanted to go with, you know, name actors because, you know, I thought that the chances of finding um, of, of finding people that that could um, embody those nuances was a lot higher. Right. Um, gotcha. Did you worry at all that going after name actors was going to be hard since you hadn't had experience directing something this long? Yeah, I, I I thought it was going to be hard, but I always thought like I always thought like if I if I made something that was compelling enough that people would want to be part of it. And I I don't mean that to be like arrogant. It just it just felt like it felt like something that I would want to do. If someone approached me with something um, that was short, that was like a you know a small commitment of my time, and they were an experienced um, 
they were an experienced director that had a body of work and they had, you know, they had a solid crew behind them. And, you know, it just seemed like they, uh, why wouldn't they say yes? Why? Yeah. Why wouldn't they say yes? Or why wouldn't they at least read it? I guess. So you have this producer that does black box theater and he helps you come up with the list of people that he has contacts to. Well, I gave him a list of people that I was interested in. One of which was Tobo. And, um, it was a pretty short list. Um, one of them was Tobo and he had some experience doing a play. I think that expanded like a play that was started here and went to Edinburgh and with, uh, with Steven. And, um, so he got it in front of Steven and actually Steven was the first that signed on. He just like, he read it and, and he reached out and said, you know, this is great. Um, I'm totally, I'm totally willing to do it. Um, it's just, uh, you know, you know, we kind of had a like a little brief chat with him. Yeah. Just, Did you the know, script about go what, directly to his, to him or to, it went his directly agent? to him. Yeah. Oh, okay. So that, yeah, so that personal connection probably the, helped a lot. The personal connection helped a lot. We also had, we had, there was, there was actually three people that we considered, but Tobo was, you know, one of the people that I had gone with and and because of the connection we were able to get him the script and yeah i mean it was there was a little obviously a little personal trust there between he and andrew who's the producer and um just enough to read the script and i mean it's a it was a you know i'll tell you the thing i know about steven is he's just the guy just wants to make cool stuff you know he's he's constantly he's he's been he's like one of the Pro, most prolific actors working right now. He's in everything. <laughs> I know. I see um, him. All he's around. like a character actor. He's <laughs> been in like two. I think last two or three hundred roles he's had. So the guy just like wants to make stuff, and um, he just likes to flex those muscles. And and so he read it, and his only thing was, I love it. Um, I, I definitely want to be part of it. Uh, I just don't know when I can. And so, but with that, it was like we, that was maybe in the beginning of the summer or maybe in the spring or something. He said that and we're like, well, we'll work it out. We'll find a time. And then... Um, one, one more question before you go sure. on. Was there money on the table? Like, did you say we're going to pay you this much? No money. So you said, this is for free. Yeah, yeah we and didn't said, even okay. talk about it. Oh, no. He said, you just didn't talk about money. We didn't talk about money then. Okay. No. Well, I mean, so it's we just ended up based I mean, we, purely on the excitement based, of wanting to do this thing. Based purely on, based purely on, you know, relationship with the producer, um, based purely on the fact that it was based purely on relationship with the producer and the fact that, um, I was a semi-responsible, probably was a semi-responsible entity. Right. Like, <laughs> like, did you send along your reel with the script or, or your website? Or like, uh, I did. Was, um, yeah. Okay. Hit, like, yeah, there was a connect, like a link sent with my reel. And I think probably I wasn't privy to the conversation, the first conversation, but it was probably something like he's commercial director. He's, 
got a good body of work and you know he's got a, a short film that we could probably shoot that he wants to shoot over you know two days over a right. weekend or something yeah yeah i kind of feel like your commercial directing um career is probably a, b- a big part of what he what made him say yes you know because i think a lot of times for directors who don't have a lot of experience or don't have a lot of work behind them sometimes it's really hard for actors to to take that leap you know and trust them so I think the commercial directing must have gone a long way for someone like, you know, Tobolowsky to be like, yeah, okay. Yeah, I mean, I, like I said, I wasn't involved in that first conversation, but but talking with him, he was he was on board, at least verbally on board, like pretty quickly. And then, but that was really early on, that was really early in the year. And then we kind of went on a hunt for for who the other character was going to be. And we had a couple of different angles on that. Originally, I was thinking more of like a kind of a Patton Oswalt type for that. But then I had uh, I had seen DJ in a couple of different things. I have like kind of this guilty pleasure show I want I watch um, once in a while. Well, I've watched it forever. This uh, this show Supernatural on the CW. Uh-huh, yeah. Don't don't judge me. But uh, <laughs> I'm not. Anyway, it's like, it's, you know, I've watched that show forever and I just, I don't know why I keep watching it, but yeah, I'm hooked on it. So anyway, so (laughs) DJ had a uh, kind of a reoccurring character, character role on that. And I was like, that guy would be so perfect for this character because he kind of, and, and I know him from road trip and those movies. And he's just like, he's just not this intimidating character he always plays this like kind of nice guy who's you know and i'm like i think that he would be kind of um potentially pretty scary if he was you know given the chance and and so yeah so i had originally like we never even reached out to anyone else for that character he was like i had some other people in mind that i thought might be cool but they to me they ended up being a little bit too generic and so, or two on the nose, I would say. And then I just wanted to kind of, like, I just reached out to DJ and he was a little bit How did more, you reach out to DJ? Through his agent? Um, yeah, through his agent. So this, and, so through DJ was through his agent and did you, did you just call the agent up and say, hey, I want, I have a short film that I'm directing? Um, we went through, we went through Andrew again, the same producer. Oh, okay. Because, but Andrew didn't know him um, or uh, didn't know really know his agent either. And do you know how how it happened? Was it a phone call? It was Did just a phone. It was a phone call. Okay. I looked up the agent and I said, uh, and I called Andrew, and I just because I just knew that he had the only thing that he had at his advantage, which I would say is much like a casting agent, um, is just he had a bit of a name in that people. He's on a he's on the list that when he calls, people just know. Okay, he's <laughs> right. Legit. He's legit. Yeah. yeah, he's not. And so I just called up Andrew and, and we had the agent's name. And I just said, I really think DJ would be perfect for this. Can we at least just try and get on the phone with him? And so we called his agent. His agent took the script. His agent read the script. And I think thought about him in the same way that I was thinking. And the fact that most of his roles are as kind of uh, 
serious. Uh, serious is the wrong word. Uh, just like uh, they aren't as intimidating as right. this. Right. And I think his agent looked at the script and thought the same thing because I pretty quickly was able to get on the phone with DJ. And the very first thing he said to me was, hey, man, I don't know who you are, but my agent says I need to do this script. <laughs> That's awesome. But again, was there any money talk? No money talk. Wow. In fact, the second question was after we, yeah, this is funny. And when we're talking about like um, reputable, being reputable, I don't think DJ actually knew or cared that I was commercial director. <laughs> he just, um, yeah. his agent told, you know, said you should look at the script. He's like, I read the script. I really like it. Um, and then we started talking about where it would be shot and he just he he actually wanted at first i thought he was actually wanted to know from a creative level but then i realized he was just kind of feeling me out he like wanted to know where it was shot he wanted to know what camera we were going to shoot on <laughs> right because he didn't want me to say like a 5d or a gh5 <laughs> yeah or something wow yeah that's, yeah, that's interesting know. I'm just kind of blown away because this feels like a little counterintuitive to everything that I've heard about getting name actors in a film. Like, first of all, it's a short film. I, I just would imagine that would be a hard sell. Had you gone through this this producer and he had connections to all the actors in your film, I would understand that personal connection would make it happen. But to go through an agent with a short script with no money on the table and you didn't, and let me guess, you didn't have shoot dates set yet. No, didn't have shoot dates. Yeah, it's like yet. it just—I don't know how that happens. You well, got lucky, I mean, I think I think I got lucky, but but I also think I these guys like they all want to work, you know? They all want to like. But if you're going to an agent, the agent doesn't care. Yeah, and, but uh, the agents, good agents do. Good, good agents, agents do, right? That's why I, mean, I say you you got lucky. You probably got an agent that actually cares about good DJ. agents. Good agents and good managers look at their clients and they go, "How can I expand this guy and put him in different roles?" Because they're faced with the same thing that we were talked about talking about with the commercial thing. You get pigeonholed into something. I mean, it's funny. DJ always talks about how he's like lost his virginity on film seven times, you know, because he's like that character, <laughs> you know, he's like that funny character that people want to see that happen. So it's like, I think his agent looked at the script and said, well, you know, this is a pretty low impact way for him to potentially expand his repertoire. And I'm sure it helps that you're in Los Angeles too. So yeah. you're not like, you have to come to Sacramento, California to shoot this. And, like, and <laughs> right. that's, and that's a huge part of the pitch. It was like, we're going to shoot it in Los Angeles. Um, the one thing I did have at that point is I did have a, I did have a location um, or at least a promise of a location. Um, and that happened through my commercial connections, a producer. Is that that big office building downtown uh -huh. that people shoot commercials yep. in all the time? Yep. That they shot. Um, we actually shot in, it's, uh, LA center studios and I have a producer friend of mine that I've worked with a ton and, um, he, uh, he had some connections there and we went and met with LA center studios and um, the guy's name was Ken Johnson. Who's like the manager of that studio. And it's a big, huge old office building. I think it used to be a big oil company or something like United oil or one of those big companies. And so it's got this big mid-century modern look to it. 
and the whole building is um, part of its offices and the other part the other like two or three floors of the office are sets and these particular sets this whole floor the 10th or 11th floor that we shot on is one of the floors that they shot Mad Men on and so it's actually dressed it's not dressed it's um the, the, it's basically a whole floor with that kind of mid-century office feel, like that yeah. kind of wood-paneled walls and things. <laughs> that's oh, great. That's awesome. And um, it's pretty empty. I mean, we had to dress it. Um, but they were really cool. The, we met with them, and probably I, I, I would say some of it probably had to do with the fact that I had done a lot of commercials and things, and they knew that. But they were like, well, you know, we – Every couple of months, we like to give, you know, a certain amount back. You know, we do like one project every quarter or something where we let people come in and use our facilities for free. And I love hearing that. That's so cool. Wow, it's amazing. Yeah. And so basically, it, but it wasn't totally free. We ended up having, because we shot on a weekend, I ended up having to pay for the staff of the building mm-hmm. to be there. I had to pay for the... uh you know, the the building manager and a security person, you know, the basic, the, right. the, there's like four or five people that had to be there for us to be there. Was that expensive? It was a couple of grand. Okay. Not too bad. Yeah, but versus like 10 grand or whatever it would yeah, normally right. cost. Yeah, I mean, there. I mean, here's the deal. Like, uh, like it was so, it was a couple of grand, but they, they donated the location to us and they gave us an entire floor of an office building. That's so cool. That's awesome. And that then those shots like out the window at night too. It's like yeah. that, the production value on that is the so The production amazing. value was huge and cuz I had scouted the funny thing was this you know it all takes place in a therapist's office. So I had scouted actual therapist's office, a ton of them. And most therapist's office are about 10 by 12. <laughs> right. They don't look like they do and, in uh, the Sopranos. You no. Know, and they and they <laughs> certainly don't have a you know, a wall of windows that like look out over, you know, buildings in downtown, downtown LA. So I consider myself really lucky to have gotten that location. And it was so, I don't know if it was, I don't think, I, I don't know if it was crucial for us getting those actors, but it certainly didn't hurt that we had a reputable location, you know, right. kind of committed to us. We didn't have a, a date at that time, but we had, um, you know, but it was committed to us that we could use the space and they gave us the whole floor. So we had not only a, um, you know, an office that we could dress and shoot in, but we had, you know, it it is a former office building. So there's, you know, there was a, a big office that we used for our craft services. And there's a big, you know, there's offices that we were able to use for wardrobe and, and for, you know, our gear, we could lock our gear up in there. And, and there was a, a place where uh, DJ and Tobo could go and, and chill out and read, you know, read the script and, and get all the production logistics that sometimes you forget about. Yeah. Which that. are yeah, all just... those, those kind of, they're, I wouldn't even say they're creature comforts. They're just like kind of necessities. Necessities <laughs> yeah. that a lot of people forego oftentimes. And I think. Oh, that- yeah. I can't tell you how many times I've walked into a location and be like, it's perfect. I love it. But then, like, on the 
on the other end, on the production side, they're like, well, where are we going to set up yeah. food? Where, and where, where are, are we going to do wardrobe? Yeah. Where are the bathrooms? <laughs> it, exactly. And so it, I would say that all of that kind of went into getting this team. And also when we, we, when we ended up shooting it, the time that we were able to make it happen was right after New Year's. So we knew everyone was in town. We knew none of, you know, the crew was not normal feature crew. It was all commercial people. So we knew that none of those people would be working. We had a legitimate location already locked down with, you know, parking and with uh, the everyone that all the crew knew and had shot there. Um, and it was in town. And then, you know, DJ and Tobo were both in town and they and they knew of the location as well. So it was like all those things made it where it was like the whole point from my perspective was trying to um, limit the hardship from anyone. You yeah, know, obviously, right. obviously like keeping the money them. down. But yeah, yeah, like. Well, and let's talk again about paying your actors. Did you end up paying them? Uh, just expenses. We did everything. Uh, we did ev- like I'm I'm DGA director, so yep. I did everything was done DGA. Everything was done SAG. So how does it work with SAG with a low budget short film? So really, it's um the thing with SAG is you kind of it's kind of like permitting a house. You know, you kind of want to make sure if you 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 don't really have to pay a lot of money unless you make a lot of money for it like you can do an ultra low budget agreement on uh-huh. you could, like with sag like everyone signed a contract um all the actors signed contracts uh they were everyone was paid their basic expenses uh you know their whatever it co- you know like i said it was like it was all about eliminating i didn't want people to have to pay to be in my movie so right Everyone so paid was, to get there. Everyone was paid their basic. Yeah, everyone was yeah. paid their basic expenses. We everyone was fed well, like all our money went towards that stuff, and um, the uh, but everyone, all the actors signed contracts, and um, you know if and we all knew it was a short film too. We all knew that it wasn't going to get distributed, and that I mean, um, they were paid. They're paid what what it took for them to be there, and and uh, you know the 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 agreements are such that uh, I actually just checked on it yesterday. The agreements are such that you know if this were to make money, um, you know if it were a feature or something, it were to make money, then yeah, we would have to then go out and there was an agreement in place where there would be you know. Uh, at, at the very least, we would then have to go back to these people and pay them their um, their scale, right? The basic scale. And so it's a deferred payment. It's a deferred payment, basically. And yeah. then there would be residuals yeah. on top of it. And then there would be residuals on top of it. Yeah. So hopefully your your short film, no one ever wants to buy your short film because once <laughs> they hear that, I'm sure they're going to say, nah, never mind. Yeah, well, maybe. Um, Maybe, but mean, the we'll but the thing is, I, I was actually talking to um, my producer that set this up yesterday because yeah. I I knew we'd probably broach on this a little bit, and his opinion was, you know, um, it he actually thought it in many ways it would maybe not on a short film level, but maybe on a feature level that it would actually increase the chance of some distribution because it would actually 
mean that everything was done correctly and right. that when the time came, there was like known amounts of, you know, known entities. There'd be known money, known, you know, and, and no one would be fined. You know, if like, if we did this all kind of under the radar, if right. it was a all feature, handshake deals. it was all handshake deals and we did it all <laughs> under the radar and it was a feature film and then we went and sold it, there would be all these like, um, unknowns out there and then in addition and in addition to that um the actors could probably be fined because they're all sag yeah you know you just can't do that with sag stuff like you have to go through sag for for everything like even the smallest things that i've done like we always have sag paperwork for the actors if they're sag you know just because they're so worried about losing their sag membership that they don't want to do anything to piss them off you know right and i'm not i'm the same way with the dga so i do everything dga as long as it's not, you know, it's it's not uh, like I haven't really seen too many downsides. If you're doing something that's a passion project, there's avenues in those guilds for that to happen. They just don't let you game the system. So it uh, kind of all depends on where you stand with it. But, the the you know, right. I was actually looking at the paperwork. It wasn't that big of a deal. This project's proof that that stuff doesn't really get in the way as long as you go do it the right way. You know, that you can make a little short project if you want to, you know, and just put yeah. it out into the world. With SAG Actors. So your film is up on Vimeo right now, like available for anyone to see. And yeah. there's no issues with SAG or the DGA or anyone like that because you're not selling it. So there's no, no money coming in. There's no, no, it's purely for everyone's enjoyment. <laughs> <laughs> nice. <laughs> Thank you for, yeah, spending the money to, to yeah. bring this to us. Well, also, I really appreciate that you just put the movie out online, too, because a lot of people don't do that. Like, they're so scared about losing festival this and festival that and distribution this that they just, they, everyone holds their movies. Yeah, or waiting for the right time for it to come out. That festival thing is is ridiculous. Like, from a, like I totally understand why a festival and I'm just sending this out to festivals right now, so we'll see how it how it goes. But it's like I totally understand why a bigger festival like Tribeca or you know Sundance or something would want to have a lock on the premiere if it was a feature, because there's you know all kinds of you know financial and kind of clout things that that go along with that. But for a short film, I mean, it seems ridiculous to me that a festival would limit where you could show your short film. The avenues for short right. films are so limited anyway. It just seems like it's uh, it's <laughs> right. it's so counterintuitive right. to... We just want people to see them. That's yeah, all we exactly. want. And so for them to say, well, you can only have the 30 people sitting in our theater see it. Yeah, I yeah. mean, I, I looked at the, I looked at the numbers on that. I was just like, you know, I, I was going to submit to Tribeca and they demand that your feature not be aired anywhere. And it's like, yeah, I don't, I don't care. Like... What so you get a, you get fifty people in Tribeca actually see it? Right. It's like I mean, you, and you have to sweat to make sure it gets or see if it even gets in. But then right. only fifty people <laughs> right. get to see it. In the meantime, you know, you put it out there, and thousands of people get to see it online. Right. Exactly. And I just don't see. I just don't see the point. I don't think it's actually conducive. It seems like more of a more of a decision to promote the festival more than helping out filmmakers and i'm I'm, yeah right i'm much more of i'm much more on the side of the filmmaker yeah yeah. so we are 
way deep into this conversation. <laughs> yeah, We're way, way over, over. <laughs> and I still want to do the final five questions. Awesome. Um, <laughs> can we can we jump to that and wrap this up so I can yeah. get to get to work before I get fired? Let's do it. Um, do you want to take the first one? <laughs> yeah. So, Paul, there's these five questions we've been asking every filmmaker that has come on the podcast so that we can just hear the different responses to it. Mm-hmm. Uh, the goal here is just to answer these questions, you know, short and succinct. Very okay. short. Okay. Uh, number one is David Fincher says you're doing pretty good if you can get 70% of what you want on a film. Do you agree? And if so, what percentage are you getting from your films right now? I'd agree with that. I'd say right now I'm probably getting 55%. 55. Nice. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> so what's the thing you struggle with the most as a filmmaker? Oh, what do I struggle with most as a filmmaker? I would say just getting, right now, it's just getting ideas on paper in a longer form. Just getting those longer concepts locked. Number three, if you could travel back in time and give your younger self one piece of advice, what would it be? Start now. Don't wait. <laughs> Start now. Awesome. <laughs> Number four, do you have a goal as a filmmaker? Um, my goal as a filmmaker is to keep progressing and I want to make as many films as I can. And I want to expand into as many creative avenues as I can, you know, being like film and television. And the last one is making movies hard. Yeah, but it's awesome. <laughs> I like that. You sound so happy when you yeah. said that. <laughs> That's what we should change the podcast name to making movies is hard, but it's awesome. <laughs> well, it's like Lindsay and Manny's podcast is filmmaking sucks, but we love it anyways. Yeah. I think they learned from our podcast yeah. title that you can't just say something yeah. that sounds disparaging or right. negative. Exactly. All right. Well, cool. Thanks, Paul, for coming on. I mean, there's so much great stuff in that. Um, yeah. Really, a lot of things I wanted to talk about that we didn't have time to. So I we'll know, have to bring you like back. It, also, <laughs> uh, we got we, we well, got to sit down. Even if we don't do it on the podcast, we got to sit down and keep talking because yeah. there's a lot of stuff I still want to ask you. Well, you know, you work at an ad agency and you got plenty of ads over there. So. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> right? Are you bribing me? Like, if I work with you, I can get some more information. Yeah, man, I'm all about <laughs> kickbacks. Yeah, we uh, can we can sit and we can sit in <laughs> Prague and. <laughs> <laughs> I want to shoot in uh, Japan. That's my goal. Me too. It's hard to shoot there, though. I know. You really have to have the right script. It's hard to to convince clients to go with like an all-Japanese cast and and shoot in Tokyo when like the dollar is not super strong compared to the yen. But I'm going to figure it out. Are you finding... I'm finding that it's like like people are... Everyone's asking me to just shoot in Vancouver now and make it look like anything. (laughs) (laughs) That's funny. They're like, yeah, we, we we want the small town usa and we want to shoot it in vancouver well and you're like oh. you, hmm. there's no there's no small town street in vancouver they're all yeah. on hills well that or mexico city or yeah. like the two the two oh, places yeah, yeah. right outside like that are pretty close to get to from the united states i actually had a conversation and you probably relate to this i had a conversation uh, there i was i was on a pitch the other day and the producer before we even talked one bit of creative the producer's like we're going to be shooting this in argentina and <laughs> and uh and they like d- just told me this stuff and i'm like well this is all this is a hundred percent dialogue are we bringing our actors from from yeah. california and she's like what and she's like no we're getting our actors there and i'm like 
This is wall-to-wall dialogue. <laughs> yeah, how's that going to work? So you're okay that everyone has a Spanish okay. accent? Yeah, everyone's got a Spanish accent, right? Yeah, it's just... <laughs> it's amazing. Well, where can people find you if they want to reach out and either hire you for a commercial or just say hi, they saw your short film and they and they enjoyed it? Well, I'm on Twitter. The only social media I'm on is Twitter. Actually, no, that's not true. I, I just got on Instagram, but I'm on Twitter at, at Letters Home. And my commercial work uh, can be found at my company's website, uh, concreteandclay.com. And the film is available at 15minutesfilm.com. Cool. Do you have a Vimeo page? I do. It's just under Paul Schneider. Uh, I don't know the link for that. If you look That's up. That's okay. We'll include it in our show notes so people sure. can go to makingmoviesishard.com and we'll have links to all the things you just said. Great. And I'll be able to find you. They'll reach out and say, hey. Great. Well, cool. Thanks again. And, and yeah, thanks, thanks, everyone, Paul. for listening. Yeah. Um, if you like the show, tell your friends about it. And you leave a rating for us on iTunes or Stitcher. And if you guys want to get in contact with us, you can send us an email to podcast at makingmoviesishard.com or find us on Twitter and Facebook at MMIH Podcast. That's our show for the for the week. Thanks again, Paul and Ulrich. That was fun. Yeah, and special thanks to Dissolve for sponsoring this episode. This is our first sponsored episode of uh the year our maybe second sponsored episode ever so yeah yeah and our first episode sponsored by dissolve and yeah. we're, we're happy to have them on board they're a really cool company so ever go check them out yeah totally all right we'll talk to you guys next week